week that they, they missed my uh, kind of annually scheduled Christmas sermon, and uh, I apologize, I didn't do that. Uh, I was having surgery right before Christmas, probably not the best plan, and I still, when I touch my nose, I feel like it's broken. Um, so it's it's not comfortable, and it's supposed to take about six weeks to fully recover, and I'm breathing better, and, and that part's going well, and pain's getting a little less, so... Um, someone asked me the other day, though, I hadn't seen him in a while, and the minute I spoke, they said, did that surgery affect your voice? And I hadn't realized it's kind of gotten a little higher and a little tinnier, and hopefully it'll go back to normal. <clears throat> it's a result of having the, the intubation during the surgery. But I want to look at the, the challenge of uh, a new year, and uh, I, I have a passage in the Psalms I typically like to go to, uh, but over the years, I've found another passage as well. And, uh, you know, what do you do at the, at the start of a new year? Now, when you're growing up, we, we probably were taught by someone to make New Year's resolutions. And so you would get out a piece of paper and write down the things you're going to do differently uh, the next year. And that's not a bad thing. It means that you recognize that maybe there were some things in your routine that could have changed uh, and things that if you did would actually improve your life. And occasionally... Uh, you'll keep one or two of those, but there's all kinds of uh, joke material about uh, how people don't keep their resolutions. We tend to throw them out. Uh, Matt and I have uh, commented or noticed several times that if you drive by any fitness center uh, for the first six weeks of any new year, the parking lot is cram-packed and inside the gym is cram-packed. And that's because all of the weight they packed on over Thanksgiving and Christmas, people are determined to get in there and work it off. But as soon as they find out you have to sweat and grunt and that uh, exercise can be painful if it's done right <laughs> and it leaves you with a, a little soreness and whatnot, that it doesn't take too long, but somewhere between 6 uh, and 12 weeks, I guess, for most people's resolve to wear off, and then the parking lot kind of goes back to normal for whatever that gym is. And so uh, what you learn to do is work out at home until, you know, somewhere toward the end of February, beginning of March, and then you can go back to, to the gym and have kind of normal crowds. Uh, and it's because people's resolve often falls off. But New Year resolutions aren't an unbiblical thing. In fact, as David made some resolutions himself, and so, you know, maybe three different approaches to a new year would be one is to, to kind of take an inventory of where you're at. Uh, so yesterday, uh, I decided that uh, I, I've been kind of taking it easy for a couple of weeks. Uh, uh, my boss was kind enough, and I had more than enough vacation time anyway, but I had a project I needed to finish by the end of the year, and he says, I'll just, you know, turn it in Monday. And I said, thank you for that. And so I was taking time off, but I finally figured out yesterday that, if I didn't get in there and start working on the pile of mail and, and uh, forms and things that needed to be processed that were on my desk, I wouldn't actually have a, a working surface to see. So I'm actually trying to get down to the wood on my desk. I don't know if anybody else ever has that problem. Uh, but I was in there and I was scanning in things and I was paying bills and I was making phone calls and I was dealing with business issues and trying to get all that down so that I could go tomorrow, get up tomorrow morning and focus on uh, the one big deadline that I have and get it done and then start working towards some of the other deadlines that were looming. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not a bad thing to kind of take inventory. What do you have? Probably not a bad idea to take a day off uh, in the next week or two, figure out where you are financially. That's always a good way to start the new year. Figure out, you know, what are your assets? What are your, what are your debts? What are your net worth? And gather all the paperwork you're going to need to do for taxes because we all know that that day is coming altogether too soon. And then another thing you can do is make re resolutions um, or maybe, maybe put up a checklist. I, I like checklists better than resolutions of here's what I'm going to do, maybe five new habits or four new habits or two new habits that I want to start and, and, and probably better every month to say, okay, I'm going to build these two habits into my life over the, for the next month. And, and maybe, maybe just actually focusing on things a little bit. Uh, we need to be intentional about what's going on in our life. So there's, there's a variety of approaches. So I, I want to kind of take us to all three of those approaches. And, and the first thing I think is helpful to do is take an inventory of ourselves. Um, uh, most of you, I'm sure you know who Governor Mike Huckabee is. And he's, uh, 
he's kind of a hero to me as far as commentators goes because he's uh, usually able to uh, express himself on difficult political topics but do so with graciousness. Uh, and and uh, he gets a, a lot of, uh, I guess, hate mail and he deals with it on his show and he, he does it in, always in a gracious way. And uh, uh, there's been several times I wish that he had been uh, the Republican candidate who had uh, won and that uh, he had been my president. Uh, you know, there's the old theory that uh, there's six degrees of separation uh, between you and anyone famous. In other words, you probably know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows that famous person. And I guess I have uh, two degrees of separation between uh, myself and Governor Huckabee in that uh, uh, his secretary for many years, and she's now gone on to be with the Lord, was Maggie Chandler. And um, Maggie Chandler once wrote a, a review of a book I wrote and gave me a favorable review, and it was, it was a checklist uh, on, on revival to find out if you need it, how he had it, if you could tell what was going on in your life. And these questions aren't taken from that, but it, it's the same premise, is that sometimes it's good to ask ourselves some questions. And so in Colossians, the Apostle Paul gives us a checklist of things that we should check on. In Colossians 1, it says, We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof ye heard before in the word of truth of the gospel." which is coming to you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit. And it doth also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. And you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. So several things from that passage I think it's worth taking a look at, because Paul says, we've heard this about you. In other words, uh, they had. He was talking to uh, these Christians, and he 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 basically says, "I've heard these different things." So uh, Paul's writing to the Colossians, and and he he basically says, "Here's what I've heard. This is the inventory. It seems like you have." And he says, "We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus." Uh, and so that would be the first question: Is do we have faith in Christ Jesus? Um. It saddened me on a personal level that I, I know people who have heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, taught the gospel, and yet they've now embraced a different theology where their faith is not in the, the Jesus Christ as Savior, but in the church and in the sacraments of the church. Uh, you know, one of the things that the Greek Orthodox Church teaches, for example, is that if you baptize a child, uh, that child is automatically... A Christian, they're saved. They don't ever have to make a. They don't ever have to repent. They don't ever have to ask Jesus in their heart. They don't have to do anything by virtue of the fact that they've been baptized uh, in the Greek Orthodox Church. And they're not the only ones that teach this. Catholics teach it too, uh, to some degree. Lutherans occasionally teach this idea. But it's it's this concept that uh, the church, as a minister of Christ, imparts salvation to people. There's, there's, a, there's two big problems with that. Uh, one is, is that uh, this is based not on the Word of God, but it's based on traditions. Because after, in the early stages of Christianity, uh, we, we got into uh, what I think the book of Revelation warns us about when it talks about the doctrine of Nicolaitans or the, the people conquerors. And this, this basically is where you set up a clergy that's separate from the laity. And then you exalt that clergy, and and of course that we we see that in the days of uh, uh, Constantine that we start having this uh, this church that uh, becomes uh, associated with the state, and they get funding, and they become uh, full of rituals, and they they get pageantry, and they get special dress, and you still see that every time that you see the Pope in in Rome come out and make any official pronouncement about anything. There's all this pageantry. They even have a special car, the Pope Mobile, you know, uh, and for so that he can be seen. But he's inside his bulletproof dome as he drives through things. But there's it's this official pageantry about stuff. And what happens is 
is the church gets the glory for imparting salvation through a sacrament. A sacrament is when there is a ceremony or a service that imparts some spiritual gift. So also in the Greek Orthodox Church, when you're anointed with oil, that imparts the Holy Spirit to you. Now, my problem with these things is that, first of all, it's just unbiblical. You have to decide what your source of authority is, and it should be the Word of God, not the traditions of men. The problem with traditions of men is they change. A lot of history books have been rewritten since I was a kid. And the history that I was taught as a kid is now being taught differently. might be more accurate in some cases. Usually it's less accurate because it's being changed so that people will embrace a particular worldview. Uh, I had teachers who were openly Christian, and, and uh, they were a great blessing to my life. And that's not as common in this day, because even those teachers who are Christians are often not free to express themselves. So there's a problem when you elevate traditions. Uh, in, in the case of the, uh, the Roman church, they elevate tradition above Scripture. In the case of the Greek Orthodox Church, they say they're on an equivalent level. But the problem is traditions change. They're malleable. The Word of God doesn't change. And there's no promise in the Word of God that He's going to keep traditions constant. But it does say that all Scripture is inspired of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction, for correction and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. See, the Word of God never changes. Uh, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and he makes sure that his word is the same. Uh, it doesn't go away. Not one jot, not one tittle will ever pass away uh, from God's word. Uh, he keeps it uh, secure. And so we need a faith that's based on something that doesn't change, that's not malleable. And, the, and then the teachings of, of sacramental theology are against what Scripture says. Uh, there's nowhere in Paul's epistles where we're told that a church has to administer a, a sacrament to us for us to receive salvation. In fact, is he says, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's it. That's all you need. You've got to cry out to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. And you have to believe some things. You have to believe that Jesus Christ is God's son and that he died for your sins and he rose again from the dead. And then you cry out to God for uh, forgiveness from your sins and you become a Christian. That happens and it can happen without a church. All you need is the word of God and the spirit of God and, and that's all you have to respond to. It doesn't have to be part of a church. Also, I don't remember that when Jesus uh, looked at upon his disciples and he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost, that there was anybody around uh, from the church anointing people with oil. I don't find any occasion in the book of Acts where people receive the Holy Ghost as a direct response to an official church ceremony where people were being anointed for a particular reason. So we need to understand, and, and by the way, you'll notice when he says this, we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Now, earlier in the verse, he had said Jesus Christ, and then he turns around Christ Jesus. When he, when he talks about your faith in Christ Jesus, when they put Christ first, they're talking about from heaven's perspective first. When we say Jesus Christ, we're talking more about his earthly ministry, Christ Jesus, more about his heavenly ministry. And so uh, he says, we've heard of your faith in what? The Christ who's in heaven, the Christ who had a plan from eternity past uh, to offer you salvation that you responded to. And so we need to decide what's the center of our faith. The center of our faith cannot be uh, religious ritual. It can't be our church membership. It can't be our fact that we grew up in a home with Christian parents because none of that will get you into heaven, period. Uh, to get to heaven, we have one way and one way only, that's Christ Jesus, he alone. And see, when we believe that, we follow it, and, and uh, we say it's sola gratia, it's just grace in Jesus Christ, and it's sola scriptura, it's just the word of God, and we don't accept any other agency to communicate that salvation, and we don't accept any other sacrifice, we don't impart anything by some religious ritual, then Jesus Christ alone gets the credit and the glory. Otherwise, we start to looking to a priest and we start looking to some other human mediator to stand between us and God. And so in the Orthodox Church, they have a curtain and uh, you'll, the priest will go back 
when he's about to offer the, the Eucharist or, or the, what they would call the Lord's Supper. And he goes back behind the curtain and he offers this up as a blessing to God. And somehow or other, this, the, the bread and the, the juice become uh, Im, imbued with some divine attribute of grace. Now, they don't teach like the Roman Catholics do the doctrine of transubstantiation. But still, they believe that something mystical happens back here. You know, a lot of times when people leave true theology to go to another theology, the first words out of their mouth is, I feel like, and some people say, I feel like there's more to the Lord's Supper. I feel like there's more than what's in Scripture. Let me tell you what, every theological error known to mankind has probably started with someone saying the words, I feel like. See, our feelings are deceptive. Uh, They are subject to change as well. And my feelings are not an accurate uh, source for my theology. That's why God gave us his word that uh, we don't have to wonder. So what is the center of your faith? What's your life in 2020? What was it based on? And in 2021, what's going to be the basis for your faith? It needs to be Jesus and nothing else. And then here's another good inventory question. Is your love for the brethren evident? Brother Steve pointed this out in his Sunday school lesson this morning, that one of the great testimonies of our faith is our love for one another. Uh, Jesus himself said, you shall know them by their fruits. And he says, and all men shall know that you are my disciples by your what? Your love for one another. And he says, I've heard not only of your faith in Christ Jesus, he says, and of the love which you have to all the saints. So if people were to look at where we were in 2020, did they see us investing our time in the lives of others to show them the love of Christ? In 2021, if we were to, uh, if we could zoom ahead and look at our calendar uh, all the way from now through December and see what we did on each day, will we have spent time praying with people? Will we have spent time counseling people? Will we have spent time encouraging others? And guess what? We all need encouragement. I could use some. Uh, we need encouragement. Uh, do we, do, have we spent time doing that? Did we, were we cheerful givers? And as Brother Steve pointed out so well, it's not that we, we give of constraint. And we, it's not that we, we uh, hold on to our, our filthy lucre, as Scripture says, uh, but, and we don't want to give it up. And what we do give, we give grudgingly because God doesn't want us to give grudgingly. He wants us to be cheerful givers. Um, we are blessed to have some cheerful givers in this church. Uh, we have one in particular that uh, with, without whom I don't know how we'd keep everything turned on, quite frankly. Uh, but that person is an extremely cheerful giver because they're grateful uh, for Jesus Christ in their lives in a way that I've never seen in anyone else as, as a pastor of the last 40 years. You know, is your love for others evident? There's an old saying that says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Is our love for others uh, evident? Uh, and does it show in our lives? Uh, listen to what is said in 1 John 2. He that saith he's in the light and hates his brothers in darkness even until now. So in other words, don't go around telling people what a great Christian you are and what a difference Jesus has made if you don't love others. He that loves his brother abides in the light, and there's none occasion of stumbling in him. But he that hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and knows not where he goes because that darkness has blinded his eyes. You know, when we quit acting loving toward others, it does have a tendency to blind us to the truths of Scripture. And yet Scripture should change us to make us want to love others. Does your faith rest in the hope of heaven? He says, you know... He says, not only do you, do you put your faith in Christ Jesus and you have love for the brethren, but he says, we've heard that you have hope which is laid up for you in heaven. Uh, I, I will tell you, I struggle with this one a little bit. Uh, it's so easy to look at the things in the here and now and they depress me. I don't know if that happens to you. Uh, you know... Every so often, I have to change passwords on all of my uh, work-related sites, certainly. But also, I have other websites I log into, and they require you to change your passwords so often. And so a few of those sites came up the other day. 
and I was thinking through potential passwords. And the first password I thought about, and I didn't use this password, so you're free to use it if you'd like to. But the first password I thought I might change to was, glad 2020 is gone. I, I, I thought that would be an awesome password because I am so sick of 2020. Uh, and I'm afraid it's not quite over yet. Uh, for those of you who are not totally aware of the schedule, uh, January 6th is coming later this week. This is when Congress has to certify the slate of electors for the Electoral College, and that will determine whether or not, and by the way, there has not yet been a president-elect in spite of what the news media says. That's not made official until this week on January 6th, and we will have someone who's either already president or a president-elect. And uh, seven different states have sent two sets of electors to Congress. So, for example, in, in uh, the legislatures in, in Georgia, Arizona, Michigan, Pennsylvania, have set two slates of electors, one to vote for Biden and one to vote for, for Trump. And, uh, of course, the official count uh, that was made all went to, to Biden, and I think there is a ton of evidence to show that, that the, there's so much fraud in this election, it's, it's basically almost the downfall of American democracy democracy. But here's the thing that's going to happen is they have to decide which of those electors they're going to go for. And Vice President Pence has already said he's not going to choose one set of electors over the other. And what will happen is there's a Senator Hawley who's already agreed that he's going to challenge the electoral count. There's 40 representatives in the House of Representatives that are going to do that. And as long as you have at least one senator and one representative, it will go into a two-hour debate and the Houses will separate and they'll hear evidence. And so the American public is going to hear the evidence of fraud that Mark Zuckerberg and others have, have tried to suppress. He spent $490 million trying to influence the election. Rich guy. And what's going to happen at the end of two hours is they're going to give each state one vote. And uh, this is according to the 12th Amendment of the Constitution. Each state gets one vote, and uh, basically they're going to determine who the president-elect is. At least that's the way I envision it playing out, unless the Supreme Court gets in the mix somewhere between now and then. But, you know, it's, it's nasty to have to start a new year with a hangover from the election of the last year. Uh, it's, it's nasty to have to, uh, it's kind of like, you know, uh, typically in most churches, giving drops down January and February because people are still paying off their Christmas credit card bills until about March. That typically happens. It's like a hangover from the last year. Uh, and then, you know, will the coronavirus ever end? Uh, I got a message from my sister-in-law yesterday. She, uh, uh, found a book that she thought might be of interest to me, and it was because the guy that wrote the book is one of my personal heroes, and uh, he and I had a special relationship with one another. And I said, yes, I want the book, and uh, she said she would save it for me, and then she told me that she and my brother had gotten the coronavirus vaccine on the first day that it was available, and so they've already had theirs, and so, you know, the vaccine got out in record time, but, we're, you know, how long before the main item in the news every night isn't the coronavirus. You know, how, how long is that going to hang around? Uh, so it's really easy to focus on the here and now, to focus on the coronavirus news, the election news, the economic news, the, the news from your place of employment as to who got laid off and, you know, how many more layoffs are expected because always every company, it, it seems like, that somebody somewhere times all the layoffs for Christmas season every year. Have you all ever noticed that? You hear about all the layoffs in December because they're trying, to, they're trying to put things on the cutting block so that they look potentially better to investors in the new year. And so all of us who still have jobs should be very thankful for them. But, you know, we really need to get our focus off the here and now and focus on what are we doing for eternity? I mean, it's, it's so easy to spend so much time of your, your life making a living and paying bills that you forget about the fact that you're going to live forever in eternity and you need to be telling somebody about Jesus. You need to be doing something that has eternal consequences. Um, as Brother Steve was teaching this morning, about two-thirds, three-fourths of the way through his lesson, the point was brought up that we don't really know 
the impact and the rewards we have by supporting other Christians. I, I think when we, when every time we do something for eternity, it's kind of like dropping a big rock in the middle of a pond and the ripples spread out. And you're never quite sure how far the ripples go because if you shared Christ with somebody or you gave, cheerfully gave to an offering that supported missionaries, and the, the pastor has a letter, I'm going to scan it in and email it out to you later today from Brother Philomeno Kakalala, who's been here several times. He's our missionary to the Philippines. And they just recently had another baptism ceremony, and they walk out in the ocean and do the baptism out there. And uh, it shows one of the Filipino pastors there with probably about nine or ten people that he baptized all at once. And this particular church has outgrown their rented property. They're trying to to buy some property, which they can do for about $50,000, then they can start building a facility there so that they can have their larger congregation to worship together. And you may say, well, what's that have to do with me? Well, the money you put in the offering plate, we our church supports that ministry directly on a monthly basis. We support Brother Philomena's ministry every month. And so when you get to heaven, you may be surprised that God gives you some credit for some people being saved in the Philippines. Why? Because you gave out of a cheerful heart that money went to a missionary, and the missionary led people to Christ, and there are eternal rewards. I don't think any of us know what to expect when we get to heaven because of the people we've, we've influenced for the Lord or won to the Lord, and, and how far does that go? How many generations does it go? How many people do those people win for Jesus Christ? Uh, we need to keep our focus on heavenly things. It's hard, though, when everything around you seems like it's falling apart. Uh, most of you, I'm sure, have been in a car at some point in your life where you have heard Dave Ramsey on the radio. And uh, he's famous for a few of his, what I call, truisms, things that and a caller calls into a show, and, and they say, how are you? And Dave Ramsey always replies, who knows what he replies? Better than I was. Better than I deserve. That's always his answer. And by the way, that is a great answer. When somebody asks us how we're doing, that's a good Christian theological answer. I'm better than I deserve. Because what did I deserve? I deserve the lake of fire. So if I got anything better than that, I should be grateful. So if you ask me how I am, better than I deserve. Now, I might be feeling terrible, but it's still a good answer. Better than I deserve. And he's got a few other sayings. But there's one saying I think I've only heard him say twice. But it made such an impression on me, I jotted it down. In fact, is I don't know if any of you have those little label machines where you type in a little thing and it prints out a label and you stick it on stuff. I love labeling machines. I, I wish I could label my life and people would actually put stuff back where it belongs. It doesn't work that way, but it makes me happy to make a label. And, uh, but I put this label on one of my computer monitors that I had years ago. And, and he says, when you, when you do stupid, you reap desperate. <laughs> And that's, that's, he's, he's, of course, talking about from a financial perspective that when you go out and get in debt, you, you reap desperation later because you can't make your, your money last the end of the month. But it works on a lot of other things, too. We, we do stupid stuff with our lives, and then we get desperate, and we've lost focus on the hope of heaven. But he says this is what our hope needs to be in. It needs to be on eternity. Our focus needs to be on eternity. That's a good thing for us to check and make sure that our focus is indeed there. And then he says that, and this is different pace in First Peter. What's in our inventory is an incorruptible and eternal inheritance. First Peter one four to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. Now I don't know what happens to your paycheck. Uh, most of my I, I have all of my bills pretty well set up to automatically pay, so I haven't been late on a payment and. I'm sure well over a decade. I can't remember being late on a payment. But that's because the electric bill automatically comes out of my account, and the water bill automatically comes out of my account, and the gas bill automatically comes out of my account. And, uh, you know, I, but I, I like to automate that stuff because it's less of my time spent worrying about stuff, and it makes sure that things get done, and I've got an automated gift to the church, and I've got an automated gift to a lot of other things. Uh, and... That's it's great, but you know most of my my gift is my money and my account is spent uh, by the time that the uh, deposit hits the bank. A lot of stuff can happen to your money, though. You can suffer financial loss. You can have an unexpected bill. You can have a car that needs an alternator and you didn't <laughs> hadn't planned for that in your expenses. 
But some about heavenly riches is they can't be ruined. Uh, they can't be, they don't tarnish, they don't go away from you. Uh, they can't uh, get dirty. Uh, they can't get defiled. Uh, they can't be taxed, thank God. They're not subject to inflation because eternal things are always valuable, unlike our, our currency that we're given. They can't be lost or stolen, but the writer of Hebrews would tell us that they can be forfeited. They can be given away uh, in, in because of our stupidity, as I said earlier. Uh, so that's a, that's a problem is that those things can, can be forfeited uh, from time to time. But it's an incorruptible and internal inheritance. That's, that, I love that. I love the fact that I have something that the world can't take away. It's just like, you know, it doesn't really matter uh, who's inaugurated on January 20th. Uh, the King of Kings is still on his throne. Thank God for that. Romans 8.18, listen to this. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Uh, you know, sufferings, the, the Bible uses this phrase all the time, and it came to pass. Sometimes I feel like sufferings come to stay. You know, I've uh, pretty well been in constant pain for five years now uh, to varying degrees based on, you know, how I slept last night, which pillow I used, what angle the bed was at, and whether uh, a whole variety of things, what the weather's going to do. Uh, but our sufferings are really temporary. But the glory is forever and ever. Uh, so our sufferings are inconsequential. They're insignificant. And they're irrelevant compared to the glory that we will share with Christ one day. And what a blessing that is to know that. What an encouragement it is to know that. Now, here's another question is, does God's word penetrate your life? I want to make sure we're on the right slide there. Uh, we're told in First Peter that the word's to bring forth fruit. So here's the question. If, if we met someone and they had never seen a Bible, but they knew us, would they understand who Jesus was? Would they, would they know what Christian love was like? Would they... Uh, what difference would it make? Uh, someone in my family, as we were talking over Christmas, uh, uh, mentioned that they had been somewhere and they had invited a, a person from Vietnam uh, to join them for a family celebration. And after a little while, this person from Vietnam commented on the fact they'd never seen a whole family sit down and have a meal together before wasn't part of their culture. You know, everybody's so busy. Everybody just eats and they, you know, they're either working, they're going to school. They'd never witnessed a family sitting down to have a meal together before. And uh, it made an impression on them. And it might make the impression, especially if the family loved Jesus Christ, that, hey, that's a pretty unique experience. So do you, you know, wh where are we? Do we just talk the talk or do we walk the walk? In other words, do, are, are we the real deal when it comes to our faith? Uh, Jesus, it says of him in John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, Christ uh, embodied the will of his Father. And if you saw Jesus, you knew about the will of the Father because he did it. He modeled it. He did all those things for us. Romans ten seventeen. so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. So here's a, here's a big one. Is the word of God a big part of your life? Uh, I kind of, a few months ago, I guess with the busyness of work, and uh, having uh, deadlines and demands, I kind of got out of the habit of listening to the Bible in the morning. And I'm, I'm a poorer person for it. But it's a wonderful thing when you wake up and the first thing you do is, is listen to Scripture. Maybe while you're getting ready, while you're getting dressed. You've got, a, you've got an Alexa device. This is an easy thing to do. You just say, uh, Alexa, ask daily Bible reading for the present or, or what is it, the most recent episode. And it will play that day's uh, daily Bible reading. But, you know, do you hear the Word of God being read aloud in your home, whether it's in your own bedroom or in your office or as a family? Do you hear it being preached often? Uh, do you listen to messages? And hopefully you hear it here, but hopefully if you're not here that you can still hear the message of God's Word over the Internet or from somewhere else. And do you hear the Word of God being discussed? Uh, is it a topic of conversation that when you're talking about a particular subject, you can bring up what the Word says about it. Uh, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, or hearing by the Word of Christ. And so we need to, we need to 
hear the word being talked about or discussed or being read if we're to increase in our faith. Now, an interesting thing about the word faith in Scripture is the word faith and faithfulness are the same Greek word. Uh, shortest verse in English in the Bible, Mark eleven twenty two. have faith in God. Now, there is a shorter verse in Greek, which is rejoice evermore. Actually, I take the back, rejoice evermore, I guess, would be the shortest in English. It's a little longer in Greek. But have faith in God, ekete piston theia, three words in Greek, it's whole, the whole uh, verse. It's interesting, though, that verse can mean have faith in God, but I think the more correct translation, because of something called a genitive uh, noun, is have, hold on to the faithfulness of God. I like that translation better, and that's the way Hudson Taylor chose to translate it when he translated the Bible into our New Testament into Chinese when he was in China, because Hudson Taylor realized what I hopefully you and I do, and that is that there's days my faith isn't that hot. Do y'all ever wake up and just, you, you, you got so many wrong things going on in your life that you wonder for a brief moment, does God still love me? Because things are really messed up right now. I'm really hurting. This stuff is happening to me. It just doesn't feel like God hears me anymore. But the reality is our faith wavers, but the faithfulness of God never changes. That's, that's another great George Beverly Shea song, by the way, Great is Thy Faithfulness, based on Lamentations 3. So faithfulness uh, to God comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You could look at it that way. Um, so you sh- we should all take a look. Are we hearing the word of God uh, enough in our lives? A good inventory question. This verse about in Acts talking about the early church, and it says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. And it says they were, they were edified, they walked in the fear of the Lord, they had the Holy Spirit, and the churches grew. What a great uh, Great description of a growing church. And are we, are we growing? Now, this last year was tough on the church. It was tough because uh, a lot of people moved uh, away and somebody moves away an hour and then get on the other side of uh, Greenville or something. After a while, that drive to church becomes troublesome. Uh, I know I make a long drive too. Um, other people, though, you know, maybe they left because of... They, we had a number of weeks uh, we were just online because of concern for your safety. And they, during that time, decided that they needed to find something that wasn't online that was closer to their homes. But are we growing spiritually? I, I think if we're focused on the Lord and we're growing spiritually and we're praying, that the, the other growth will come with it. Uh, I remember a time in the life of this church that we were maybe slightly fewer in number than we are here this morning. And we do have people worshiping online this morning, and I'm grateful for the Bronze family and others that are doing that. Uh, I think Donald and Melody are still worshiping from home. She's waiting another week or two before she gets out with the new baby. Uh, but the point is, is that we, uh, we were fewer in number than this, and we, we got up at the end of the service and we asked God to send us new families, and God did. And within just a couple of months, he, he practically filled up the church. Do people know that we fear the Lord? Do people know that uh, we don't just give quick answers for the thing, but we, we say, hey, can we stop and pray about that for a moment? Uh, do people uh, know that we consider Him in our decisions? Do we demonstrate uh, our confidence in, in the Holy Spirit? So are we growing spiritually? Um, and then he, he compares, he, he brings up this guy named Epaphras. He says, you also learned of Epaphras, our dear, dear fellow servant. Now, Epaphras was familiar to uh, almost all the apostles. Certainly the apostle Paul wrote about him quite a bit. And Epaphras was held up as an example of some things. He was faithful. He was a minister. But his main thing is he was an encourager. He encouraged others who were in the ministry, and he aided them, and he helped them. Um, I'm, I'm so thankful for Brother Steve's teaching. Uh, I love to teach. <laughs> I love to teach, and I, I, I often hate to give up opportunities to do it, but I've been so grateful for Brother Steve because it's not only taking a load off of me while I'm dealing with other things, but I need the encouragement, and he's very encouraging. And I think that's what Epaphras does for us in our life. So is, is Jesus making a difference in our life, and are we blessing in others? 
uh, and are we being a servant? Now, what about some New Year's resolutions? So Psalm 101, I just want you to notice all the times that in this psalm, David says, I will or I shall. These are his resolutions, and let's see what they are. Uh, It's a psalm of David. I will sing of mercy and judgment. Unto thee, O Lord, will I sing. I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. Oh, when wilt thou come unto me? I will walk within mine house with a perfect heart, or with integrity, some translations say. I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. A froward heart shall depart from me. I will not know a wicked person. Whoso privately slandeth his neighbor, him will I cut off. Him that hath a high look and a proud heart, will not I suffer. Mine eyes shall be upon the faithful land that they may dwell with me. He that walks in a perfect way, he shall serve me. He that works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He that tells lies shall not tarry in my sight. I will early destroy all the wicked of the land, that I may cut off all wicked doers from the city of the Lord. So he, you notice he's got quite a, a few resolutions. Now, I've heard some pretty silly resolutions. These are some of my favorite. Uh, I have resolved not to do drugs anymore because I get the same effect just standing up really fast. Now, once you get over the age of about 55, that, that will make sense to you. Uh, until then, just uh, scratch your head and pretend you don't know what that's about. I have resolved to live in my own little world because at least they know me here. Uh, I have resolved to stay married because it's so great to find that one special person to annoy for the rest of your life. Uh, and uh, certainly that's uh, something true, true for me. All right, so let's look very quickly. What are these, these uh, things that he has committed to? He says, I, I'll live a life of praise. He says, I'll sing of mercy and judgment on thee, Lord, will I sing. Kindness and justice are the theme of my song. To thee, O Lord, will I thus tend to praise. Um, Steve mentioned uh, that some people place a distinction between thanksgiving and praise. I'm, I'm one of those people. Uh, I think you can thank God privately. You can thank God in your heart. Uh, however, in Scripture, whenever I see the word praise used, it's, it's vocal, it's, it's verbal, it's public. Other people can hear it too. So it's like I can thank God for what he's done for me, but when I tell others what God's done for me, then I've changed from thanksgiving into praise. It's interesting that we, we see this, what I call synthetic parallelism, where it says enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. It's one thing to be thankful in our hearts for something, but when we really start sharing with others how God has been great to us, it really draws us even closer to the presence of the Lord. Uh, and it draws others to the presence of the Lord as well. So he says, I'm going to praise God, and I'm also going to praise others for their godly character. Uh, one of the things you need to learn as a, a, a parent or a grandparent or a brother or a sister is when you see someone in your family that's showing godly character qualities, praise them for it. Uh, you always get more of what you praise. You always get more of what you praise. And praise is probably the most important part of uh, child rearing in many ways. Then he says, I'll live a life of purpose. Um, He says, I'll behave myself wisely in a perfect way or in a blameless way. Uh, Let me tell you something. You will not live a life of integrity by accident. You will not live a a blameless life. Uh, You won't live a life that counts for something without some action. You've got to have a strategy. How do I live a life of integrity? What am I going to do in my life that I can be a godly influence on others? It will not happen by accident. It has to be intentional. And that's what David is saying. I'm going to live a life that counts for something. And the old saying is, if you fail to plan, you're planning to fail. David also says, I'll live a life of purity. He says, I'll walk within my house with a perfect heart or a a heart of integrity. Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart without all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. By the way, I think there's two meanings to Proverbs 4.23. One of the meanings is, Yes, I need to keep my own heart. I need, to, I need to examine my own heart frequently and need to make sure the invaders aren't coming in to steal away my love for Christ. I need to focus my heart on Christ because out of it are all the decisions that I'm going to make. But it's also true that in Scripture it calls man the head of the home and woman the heart of the home. And so this verse could be that, guys, you need to protect the heart of your wife for out of it are the issues of life which are your children. In other words... Your number one priority as a dad or as a husband is to make sure that you 
protect the heart of your wife and love her, and she should be your best friend, and that will make a difference for your children. Uh, we need to not only live a life of purity in our hearts, but in our home, Matthew twelve twenty nine. Or else, how can one enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he first bind the strong man, and then he'll spoil his house? And then David says right, that we need to talk of God's word. Uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it mentions four times that you should be talking about God's word in your home. One is when you're sitting at breakfast. So if you're eating breakfast together, do a short devotional, talk about it. When you're out working or running errands and you maybe got one kid in the car and you start talking with them about something, maybe share with them from God's word how you handled that challenge or what you're dealing with right now. Maybe share God's word before you go to bed. Make sure to share God's word before you rise up in the morning. Or just spend time at these four times of the day in, in the word of God. Uh, we need purity in our friendships too. Uh, Proverbs says, He that walks with wise men shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. This is why, by the way, I think it's important. I know everybody enjoys reading fiction, and that's fine if it's good fiction and good quality fiction. But I really think we need to read some Christian biographies because when you, when you read the biography of a great Christian, you're walking with someone who was flawed, who made mistakes, who made bad decisions, and good biographies will show you that. But also, they became wise people because they, there was books written about them for a reason. They were useful to the kingdom. And so if you read about Hudson Taylor or you read about Gladys Elward or you read about uh, a whole host of other people I could mention, it's like walking with wise people. But it also makes that my current friends need to be like this. Uh, I need friends who are godly and that encourage me and that challenges me. And, of course, in verse 3, here's one key to not or being able to live a life of purity is he says, I'll set no worthless thing before my eyes. Now, I, I could delve into that uh, and go to, from preaching to meddling, as they say. And then let's talk about focus as we close. We've talked about resolutions, we've talked about inventory, but uh, we need to focus on something. Um, this is a challenge for me too because I often find myself trying to do too many things at once. It's why I really got to go home this afternoon and work on my desk and clear it off because I focus much better at work when my desk is cleared off instead of full of clutter. Uh, I, I really, if I had the money, I would hire somebody to come in and help me. Uh, clean, clean my office. I, I need that. Um, the brain can't focus on more than two things at one time without feeling stress. Uh, uh, David Allen wrote a book on how it's called How to Get Things Done. This is not David Allen, my son-in-law, but another famous David Allen. And uh, he wrote a book called How to Get Things Done. And he says, if you got anything you need to do and it takes less than two minutes, do it immediately. That way it's done, it's gone. So it takes less than 120 seconds, just do it immediately. Uh, even if it doesn't seem like it's the biggest priority, do it and get it off. If it takes longer than that and you need to get it done, write it down because once your brain has more than two unresolved issues up here, you start feeling stressed out the minute you write it down and so that you don't forget it. Your brain can relax a little bit and you can cope and you can deal with things. Uh, and that's a, a good technique. Uh, and so I don't want to give you a whole list of things that you need to do in the new year, but why not? Make a list today of what are two things you're going to do differently in January. Just two. Uh, with, especially with regard to your spiritual life. And the Apostle Paul gave us a suggestion. Here, here's what he says in Philippians 3. Brethren, I count myself not to have ap apprehended, but this one thing I do. One thing. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth for those things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling, or in Greek, the upward calling of God in Christ Jesus. So what one thing could I change in my life in January? Maybe even if it was just the one thing I focused on the rest of the year. What one thing could I do that would make me a more effective Christian in 2021? Now, my mother... I'm, I'm fairly convinced to this day was still the most intelligent woman I've ever met. Uh, my mom was, <laughs> knew a lot of stuff. She wasn't always the wisest, but she was very wise. Uh, but my mom did something very interesting in her life. And I, 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 want, I keep thinking I want to do this in my life, but I haven't figured out how to implement the time. But my mother, at the start of every year, would think of one thing she wanted to learn for that year, and she would focus all year long on it. 
So, for example, she was an artist, so one year she'd paint all watercolors. Another year it was all acrylics or all oil paints. And another year it was archaeology. So she took archaeology courses at West Texas State University. It's called something else now out in Canyon, Texas. Uh, and another year it was paleontology. So she and I went up to the, the, uh, the yellow uh, hills of uh, West Texas. Not, not all hills are iron or red, but there are places out out in West Texas, uh, uh, around Clarendon, Texas, where the hills are yellow, and you can go out there and you can dig up all kind of fossils. And I went out with a paleontologist from our church, and we went out and dug up fossils. And, and uh, But she would pick one thing to learn about. In another year, it was the stock market. Another year, it might have been bonds, or stocks, or bonds as opposed to stock. But whatever happened, she spent an entire year focused on one thing, and you know what? If you spend a year focused on one thing and learning about it a little bit every day, you kind of become pretty good at that one thing by the end of the year. And over, over the time, because my mom lived to be the ripe age of 96, my mom knew a whole lot about a whole lot of things. And it was all this idea of focus. And I get spread apart doing so many things that I have to learn new stuff for work and I have to you know, study for sermons and I'm trying to manage finances and getting ready for that day I need to be prepared for retirement so I can take care of my wife in perpetuity and I, I've got tons of stuff on my mind. And I love the beauty of being able to focus on something. So if we were to narrow down what one thing could you focus on in 2021 to be a more effective Christian, to be more useful to the kingdom and more useful to your family? Uh, that, would be, that would be the question that I would ask you. Let's, uh, let's pray. And then I'll ask Brother Stephen to lead us in a song and then we'll close with our announcements. Let's pray first. Father, I, I ask that you would bring to each of us to our mind not a list of a hundred things that we've not done well that would just stress us out. But Lord, what one thing could we do differently to be better husbands, better dads, better wives, better mothers, better siblings, better children? Most of all, Lord, what one thing could we do that would make us more useful to your kingdom and what one thing could we do that would make our lives better glorify you? Father, bring that to our mind as Brother Steve leads us in song. And Father, I pray that uh, in 2021 that you would grow us at First Baptist Las Colinas, not just spiritually but numerically as well so that there will be more people to encourage us in our walk with Jesus. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. You can stand and